Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 96, We All Carry Our Prisons With Us. This week we're discussing series 7, episode 3 of Doctor Who, A Town Called Mercy, and season 1, episode 19 of Angel, Sanctuary. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So we're starting with Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. a town called Mercy, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a great, like, Western town name. Yeah, yeah. Like, Old West. um, Well, I guess even there's still towns like that today, but they were sort of founded back then. Sure. Um, But no, it has that, it does have that sort of, like... Clint Eastwood or even uh-huh. like John Wayne, you know, yeah. feel to it, which obviously is what they're what going, it's going for. for I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it, but it, it's, it's great because it works into, I mean, not very subtly, they make kind of a big deal of it. Obviously it works into the themes of the episode, like about well, the questions that they're debating about mercy versus justice and ethics yeah. and all this kind of stuff. But that would come across, I think, as more heavy-handed if it didn't work as, like, a great name for a Western town. So, because right. it works, you're kind of like, well, like, even if they weren't going for that, this would still be a perfectly plausible, like, old-timey, you know, uh, yep. kind of southwestern sort of place. So, yep. yeah, yep. it works. And we don't actually... We don't actually find out what state it's in, do we? Like, I don't the close, think so. The closest no. geographical thing that I remember hearing is that they're like 200 miles from Mexico. Right. But that that's been like a right. dozen states, yeah. you know, could potentially. Yeah. I mean, or at least half a dozen. <laughs> yeah, we could probably narrow. I mean, obviously we know kind of that that southwestern region, but yeah. it's kind of hard to say. Is that New Mexico? Is right. that... Texas, Arizona, Nevada, something else, we're not, you right. know, quite sure. Right. And because they're, like, you know, because the the border sort of angles, like, you could definitely go, it could be California, it could be, yeah, yeah you know, like, Oklahoma even, potentially, in certain parts, like, right. all those. There. So, anyway, not that it matters, but I like that it, it, it has that sort of generic feel to it, but, you know, they give it very, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you get the, the... It feels very plausible as a name, and and you're right, it works well with the the theme, obviously. And also, I mean, you get the irony of a town called Mercy in sort of like the merciless environment. Mm-hmm. Um, both both the uh, uh, you know um, like climate wise, yeah. you know that kind, of, you know, very harsh desert yeah. uh, environment, but also in the um, fact that it's sort of besieged by this you know merciless uh yeah. uh hunter gunslinger guy so yeah no definitely um a quick production thing just to kind of mention too like as well as it being kind of a plausible um or i guess what we think of as plausible like i don't actually know much about that period mostly what i know is from the movies um and sure. kind of towards that end they shot this in Spain actually at there's a couple places where um like there are standing film lots of like old-timey western towns you know one horse 
you know, saloon type places that they used to shoot a lot of spaghetti westerns. So like, I forget sure. which one specifically, but like, you know, there are at least a few westerns from like the 60s and 70s that were filmed in this. So it kind of it certainly at least looks like what I expect a Western to look like, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Not that that's completely unrealistic. I'm just saying, like, that also, you know, in terms of the writing supports that, but also they actually did a really, rather than kind of trying to fake whales as, like, you know, a Western, they, like, actually made <laughs> it look really good, and it, like, kind of looks what you hope and expect Doctor Who in sure. a Western would look like, I guess. Lots of countries have a West. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's that's cool. That I mean, definitely. Uh, so, sort of round, like building up the situation. Then, so we get this, you know, Western feel to it, and we get, um, you you know. You get sort of the classic motifs. You get the gunslinger, mm -hmm. outlaw guy that, okay, so he happens to be a cyborg. Right. But, I mean, right. then then again, you also have that Will Smith, Wild Wild West movie. That, right, yeah. You no, know. We've, got, we've had like... <laughs> like has this steampunk -y. Steampunk, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's not... This isn't... This doesn't exactly have a steampunk aesthetic because it's no. not... It's not Victorian enough, but it's still when you put in sci-fi with the western, you still kind of get that feel. Yeah, well, and and I would say it leans more that way than like say Firefly. You know what I right. mean? Like, which is the mix, the other sort of mix of sci-fi and western right. that I would lean to. Right. Um. So maybe yeah, like if those are on opposite ends of a spectrum mm -hmm. of that sort of mix, then like this is somewhere, somewhere in, in, between. in between. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I like they do describe him as being like man and machine mm -hmm. versus like man and like computer. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and I feel like yeah. so describing it as man and machine sort of also makes it lean a little more towards that steampunky. Yeah. Uh, even though it's not steam per se, but right. like a little more yeah. in that direction. And you get like the mechanical of like the Tommy gun sort of uh -huh. feel of you know the spinning. Um, you know, even though it shoots like an energy beam or whatever, like it's, right. it still, it's feels still a little more yeah. like mechanical than yeah, that's true. And even like um, uh, Collar Jacks is styled in a kind of pseudo Victorian, yes. so he's got his little waistcoat and monocle, and like yeah. you know, he kind of looks like he's of the period too. So yep, he fits in that steampunky aesthetic, I think. Um, so anyway, like, it's all fun. Um, I also like sort of the frame of it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure we bring up because it, so, you know, we get almost another, uh, not that, I mean, I'm sure I, I don't, I'm actually not a big fan. Like, not that I dislike them. I'm just not a Western. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't watch a lot of Westerns. Yeah. Like actual Western movies. Uh -huh. So. I mean, I've seen a few, obviously, um, probably Tombstone mm -hmm. would be like my favorite. And that's like a 90s Western. Mm -hmm. That's not like spaghetti Western. Right. <laughs> but, um, but like there's uh, like the, the whole the whole frame of it. Like, I don't I guess my point is that I don't know if this is typical of Westerns, but certainly it brings in 
more what we've been talking about with Doctor Who all along mm-hmm. of the fairy tale aspect yeah. to it. Um, so you're getting you're getting this story, um, but it's sort of being told at least around the edges. Uh, the way it's set up is that it's being told from this descendant of a person who was a little girl at the time the story was old. So, you know, we're talking, I mean, I would guess a hundred ish years later. Right. Like, yeah. You know, like if, if this were like, you could almost see this as having taken place in the early 20th or late, late 19th century. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, about those times when those sorts of Westerns are, and then, you know, the person telling it now is like, yes, it's when my grandmother was a little girl. So right. that would be right about the right time for someone telling the story now. So anyway, I guess my my point there is just that, like, I, I like that aspect of, of sort of the frame. And you get this idea of, like, this unseen protector. Mm-hmm. And nobody to this day really kind of knows if it's yeah. true or not. Yeah. Um, well, and it, you know... Just the way you kind of said that made me think um, that, you know, in sort of American history and folklore, you know, I mean, we have fairy tales, like we read them, but, you know, when we think of fairy tales, I think mostly we think of European, you know, that that's the thing which is kind of in our earlier history of when we used to come from Europe, you know, that those tales are British or they're Germanic or whatever, um, you know, whereas I think today now we all think of ourselves as a little bit more, we like to think we're more enlightened. We don't believe in a, you know, like, and, and maybe because, you know, we've settled everywhere. So there's less mystery about, you know, now that the West is settled, like there's less of that sense of, you know, the forest where you don't know what's in there and anything can right. happen. But what we do have, which is very particularly American, I think, are tall tales. Like, you know, you yes. think of like... The American equivalent of a fairy tale is kind of Paul Bunyan, you know, or like yeah. Johnny Appleseed, stuff like that. So the yeah. way she kind of frames it as like, it there's like that bleed over where it has kind of the fairy tale and kind of the tall tale aspect of like, this is kind of the local legend that we sort of believe in and we tell our children what it is and everybody knows the story, but nobody really knows the whole story or whether it's really true or what, you know, so it kind of has that feel to it to me. Yeah. Which I think those two things are related. They're not necessarily totally different types of stories. I think um, it just feels a bit different in, in America than it does in, you know. Uh, yeah. I think, I think the only place I would sort of disagree with you there would be like, someone like Nathaniel Hawthorne and stuff who, who was writing like more, some of those more East coast, new England, sure. like forest yeah. type dark, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like Rip Van Winkle Tales from or the something. old man. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. Washington Irving. Yeah. Um, and then you also, but then you also get like, um, Frank Baum, who's, mm-hmm. you know, who's writing Wizard of Oz, which actually yep. he would have been writing right about if we're assuming this is like that turn, turn of, the of the 20th century. century yeah. Uh, time period that's right when he was writing those but precisely for that same reason like that was his rationale for writing those was we don't have american fairy tales really so like yeah yeah like so that's that was sort of his um you know his his rationale there so i I mean i guess i sort of like 
I think I mostly agree with you, but I think there's like a few maybe exceptions where yeah. that don't quite fit in though. I think you're right to like fairy tales. Like we might, when we think of, we do think of more like European or even like Arabian nights and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff that are not, not American anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, definitely. So, so I like that, that this sort of gives that to it. And, and I think you're like, I didn't re- I never really thought about the tall tale in that sort of way as like sort of the Americanized version of fairy tales. But I think you're right. It sort of fits into a similar mold. Well, and I think just the way that she, that this is a, a legend, which she sort of is not sure how much it's, she knows it, but you know, that kind of, do I believe it? Not all rightly. No, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, that it, it's, a story she's grown up with and how else are you going to explain the fact that we have no crime and no sheriff and no, like, you know, that they have this right. sort of unseen protector, like you said. Um, yeah. We have, we have our own arrangements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, which is also, sorry, I was just going to say, that's also sort of like an old school, like small town. I think of it maybe more Midwestern than Western per se, but mm-hmm. like, maybe they sort of bleed into each other of that. Like we do our things our own way here. Right, like we're yeah. not, we're not from the city. We're not from, you know, yeah. the coast. We do our own things sort of yeah. here in the midlands. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of notion of themselves is like, well, they probably left the city for a reason. So they're, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, this idea that we have kind of a more wholesome, uh, way of life out here that, you know, we're kind of happy with the way things are run. Um, the it re- other thing... Sorry, it reminds me of a... Sorry, I, I was just going to say, it reminds me of a line from a song by Glenn Phillips, who um, was the lead singer of Toad the Wet Sprocket and then did, like, a bunch of his own, uh, you know, solo stuff. Uh, but he has a great line that goes, um, the, only, the only reason anybody still feels safe is because most people still knock on the door. It's like mm. like the whole point being of like, you know, you don't have to always be like locked up tight inside your house because most people still sort of follow the decent rules of society. Right. And I feel like this is that sort of town where like that kind of thing happens mostly. Yeah. Um, the other thing I really like about the frame too is the way that... Um, it's recontextualized by the end that, you know, I don't know about yeah. you, certainly me. And I think probably you and probably most people, when you hear it at the beginning, you think they're talking about the doctor, right? Like that it's, you know, right. our, or, or you suspect anyway, it certainly w- would lead that to be a likely thing that, you know, a, a man yeah. who lived forever, but whose eyes were heavy with the weight of all he'd seen a man who fell from the yeah. stars, you know, you're being, prompted you know to insert doctor into that um so you know even just the fact that she's a little girl and this is her favorite story i mean that's amelia's favorite story too you know when she was a little girl um but then the fact that you know we can come back to we i want to we'll talk more about the doctor and the gunslinger like as their characters and everything but um you know by the end once we've seen everything you know, and you realize that the gunslinger's going to stay there and protect the town. Um, you know, you, you you come back to her and she says, you know, 
And so this time now he's an angel who fell from the stars, which in some ways makes him even more like the doctor um, mm -hmm. than he was already because we've had him called an angel. Um, sure. But I sure. like the way that, you know, so maybe we can get into the doctor and Jex and the gunslinger because I think most of what is interesting about the story is the way in which it compares the three of them, you know, sure. compares and contrasts yeah. all three of them. So the fact that you're confused at the beginning about who's being talked to talked about, um, and you know, so it's just a nice little trick. I think that kind of makes those parallels more explicit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, well, let's jump into the characters then. Um, so I, yeah, I don't, I'm not entirely sure about the best way to do that though. So like, yeah. we already sort of know that because I think here, why? Well, as I was watching it the first time, I remember texting you, kind of like, oh, so this is Dark Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. We get a. We. I mean, not that we haven't seen him turn somewhat dark but i feel like in some ways this is probably one of the darkest we've seen him i think so too uh if if not the darkest like yeah i i always hesitate to to make that like yeah you know it's hard to i, say. I always want to leave a little wiggle room just yeah. because i tend to forget stuff and there might be a different time that well, I'm not and there's, remembering. There's but... nuances where you go, okay, well, this is kind of worse, but then if yeah. you look at it this way, this, whatever. Yeah. Um, so... My response is, yeah, that's Toby Whithouse, you know, so he's writing, and of course, because, you know, if you think about his, and this is his last episode that we're going to see until he's writing for season nine. He's back in season nine, so there's a bit of a break, but if you think of, you know, school reunion, you know, it's kind of the doctor tempted by uh, both his temptation to kind of maybe take, you know, the Giles alien up on his offer of, you know, uh, all the power that he's offering him. And you kind of get the aspect of him having abandoned Sarah Jane and the pain of that. Um, sure. You know, Vampire's Venice is a funner episode, but you have Rory kind of confronting him with how he's sort of maybe being a bad influence on Amy, being irresponsible, um, you know, and then the God complex, you know, which we agreed yeah. was kind of not the best light that was ever shed on the doctor. So, you know, so here, so you can kind of see like, this is a thing which he's definitely interested in, I think. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think of like, why maybe one of the, cause I don't know that the doctor, what the doctor ends up doing in this is worse than anything he's done before. But I think what's maybe different is what he almost, what he wants to do or what he almost ends up doing. He seems much more in control of his own darkness than like, cause sometimes I think like, you know, when we see him kind of at his worst, he's not necessarily... I don't want to say he's out of control, but it's like, if you think of something like my go-to is always the waters of Mars, like, you know, yeah, he screws it up and yeah, he does bad things, but he's so desperate and you understand why he's trying to do, he's trying to save these people and he overreaches in the process, you know, 
Whereas here, it seems sure. like to me, it's a little bit more intentional. Like, it's like here the doctor is making a decision potentially to execute somebody. Um, and Amy is the only thing yeah. that pulls him back. So that intentionality to me seems different, that he's more calculated about his actions, I guess, than he sometimes is. I think that's definitely true. I think we can see that. Um, so when when he's first finding out, not first finding out, but like he finds out what Jax, Jax does mm. um, in, in the spaceship and comes back and he's like, lies, lies, everything he says is lies. Mm. And then that whole conversation afterwards where he's first sort of accusing and then he sort of backs away yeah. and he's letting Jax talk and you can see him thinking and it wasn't really till the second time that I was watching it that I sort of was I like I'm I'm wondering what he's thinking right. about there because right. on the one hand the way Jex is talking you can see it I mean it's very much and and obviously deliberately so it seems that they're that Jex is sort of being painted as someone who made very similar mm -hmm. decisions as to what the doctor did in different ways, certainly. But like, you know, he, yes, his experiments may have been more specific, mm -hmm. tar targeted and, and drawn out. Yeah. Then, you know, the doctor sort of trapping his entire race in a time lock right. or whatever. But like, they still did very terrible things to, you know, the people who they were supposed to be sort of helping right. um, in order to win. Right. And they did win. And so, I mean, the whole explanation that Jex gives is, I obviously, it seems to me, sort of geared towards making those connections and, and making us think like, you know, if we condemn one, we have to condemn the other. Or, and if we're going to forgive one, then we have to forgive the other. Like, those are the things I think we're meant to be thinking as the audience. But then the doctor goes and grabs him and like drags him out into yeah. the, you know, the, and he like, he, I know. I it's mean, so, it, it's it ends, so weird to see kind of lovable Matt Smith driving him out like you know well then and then you get the you know the fact that he grabs the gun yeah and he's you know pointing it at his face and preventing him from coming back and this is you know thinking back to previous doctors where it's i never touch guns and yeah. even i mean i don't know if we've seen you know again i hesitate to make like a emphatic we've never seen, but like, I don't remember another time where we've seen Matt Smith as the doctor holding a gun. Like, am I forgetting a time? <laughs> um, but anyway, like, I mean, it's not yeah, a huge, maybe not. Maybe it's not. not a huge thing, but like, I think, no, like, it is. I, whenever the doctor picks up a gun, I think is huge. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's the, the man who never would. Right. That's it's, what he said. Oh, right. That's, that's right. Um, yeah, and that was that was ten, but sure. Like, like still, like yeah, this is this is like even that, like this is I I see like 
him physically throwing Jax outside, you know, the protective ring of the town and holding a gun to his face worse than like blowing up 10,000 Cybermen in, you know, while he's looking for Amy. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like that, like, I don't know. There's just something so pointed. And I think you, like you said, it's like deliberate almost, you know, of, of this decision that he's making to be this person. And, and part of it, like, I mean, part of that, because, like, that whole chain of events is sort of prompted by Jex telling, you know, saying to him, you don't have the balls, basically, to do what you need to do. Right. And, but, and then it's like, this is the doctor showing him that he yeah. has exactly Excuse me. Yeah. Those, those balls and how many. <laughs> so, like, um, but then we also get there at that moment, the, the, it's not the man who never would it's i honestly don't know yeah. if i would which is very different very different yeah <laughs> uh, well and, and, and remember it's... too his stuff from uh before about good men don't need rules so again the idea is not that he never would or that he's not capable it's that he actively chooses and holds himself back you know and so it's not that he's incapable that it's a uh, the 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 no gun rule is only a rule because he's perfectly capable of using right the it's gun. not like it's not like because he didn't he grew up without knowing what a gun was right. and nobody ever taught him how to use right. one kind of thing no it's, it's like there's a reason that there's a rule about i don't i don't like guns you know yeah um that wouldn't be a thing if he didn't feel so strongly about it for his for sure. himself i think um sure you know, and I think no, I that makes sense. Equally shocking then is to see. Well, I'm hesitant here because I don't want to get away. I was going to bring up Amy picking up the gun. Oh no, that, that's definitely <laughs> um, where I was going. Because next, then to so. have the doctor and a companion kind of in an, in a standoff, you know, is like not kind of yeah, like, like some pretty actually. potent imagery there. Um, yeah. And, and I do think it's it, it's more potent because it's with a gun. Like, it's not... Not that science fiction deaths aren't real deaths, but I think it's different when you have, like, actual guns and bullets than when you have, you know, a laser or... You know, it just... it's a, Or even, like, a missile, which we know, right. you know, which exists in this world. Right. But, like, even, like, last week where it's like, oh, these missiles are coming at right. us. It's like, well... yeah. I, and not that, like, missiles are less deadly than guns. Certainly, they are more deadly because you can kill <laughs> right. lots of people at once. No, but, but I like, think, I think, well, and I think that's has one of the good feel. things about the way that the, I think, historically, but continuing into the new series, the way it's been done with, um, you know, decisions that Russell Davies made and then Moffat's continued, that they only use that, the, that imagery when absolutely necessary so that like it's a big deal to see the heroes pick up a gun because they so rarely do it so when you use it it actually means more um than it would if they were throwing guns around every time yeah and it's i mean it's not like doctor who has had a lack of guns i mean certainly we've seen other people you know jack liked his guns and um yeah it's not like it it, martha they're not taboo or anything yeah right like from the show as a whole, but it's just that, right. Like it's the doctor, especially. And then also like 
I mean, I guess even Amy last week kind of had, they had those like tranquilizer, mm-hmm. you know, guns or whatever. But like, yeah, the, the fact that it's like the two of them in this sort of standoff and the doctor at least says that, you know, he thinks Amy won't, wouldn't ever mm-hmm. do that. But like, I mean, I think we're sort of prompted to think, yeah, she probably would never. But I also think we're kind of prompted to think, like, there's a potential just as much Mm -hmm. for her as there is for the doctor in that instance. Well, and her kind of response is, how do you know that? Because I would have thought you would never do that, and you're doing it. So right. let's, before we start saying who's not capable of stuff, you know, um, yeah. that might be a little hypocritical because that's, you know, certainly the doctor would say and has said, you know, I don't like guns. I don't want them around. But here he is sort of ready to use one. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that you mentioned too that I wanted to say is that that really, like you're saying you're wondering what the doctor's thinking in that moment when he's really quiet. Um and I always wonder yeah. that, too. And especially that part where they kind of catch him, you know, it's so rare that you have a scene where the doctor doesn't, like, isn't paying attention, you know, and doesn't know exactly what's going on. You know, that they right. kind of catch him off guard and say, like, you know, Amy, I guess, appeals to him, like, for saying, no, we're not going to do this. And he goes, hmm, yeah, I don't know, whatever Amy said. And it's kind of an interesting moment to me, like... You do mm. wonder what he's thinking, but, you know, as much as he and Amy have a conflict here, his default setting is whatever Amy says. Like To trust her. She yeah. must know whatever she said is the right thing, even though I wasn't listening. Um, yeah. You know, even though they then end up being on different sides, you know, of the argument. Um, it's just interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing, too which I kind of want to mention is in that like part where Amy's trying to talk him down and, you know, talk him out of it, his kind of reasoning, you know, I think the points about his similarity to Jex's is like, you know, really probably the key issue that like his anger and outrage with Jex is like, there's a healthy dollop of kind of self-loathing in there too, you know, about, uh, you know, all that stuff about, you know, you don't get to decide when your debt is paid and everything. Um, right. Right. Uh, you know, also this point that he says about, they keep coming back. Um, you know, every time I negotiate, I try to understand, well, not today, today I honor the victims first, his, the masters, the Daleks, all the people who died because of my mercy. Um, so we yeah. get the kind of notion of that potentially the problem, if you want to call it a problem with the merciful approach, which generally I think is the doctor's MO, you know, um, mm-hmm. is, yeah. you know, it doesn't solve the problem. Um, now I think then you get into the question of, are you even capable of solving the problem? So is that really the goal here? And that's Amy's right. point is, you can, you know, just because you eliminate one threat doesn't mean there aren't going to be more threats. So that's the wrong way to approach it, I guess. Um, 
but like just you know you kind of get the sense of I don't know the doctor's kind of age and weariness there of like you know what I'm sick of these guys who I've had to fight 500 times and you know if I let the master go or if I don't get rid of all the Daleks you know or if I let this mm -hmm. guy go now then those future deaths are on me because I didn't stop it um which I don't think we've quite heard the doctor say something like that before. So it's sort of a new nuance, I guess, on the way that he approaches these things. Sure, sure. Um, so with, well, and I mean, it's sort of obvious, but we should also just point out the whole the alien doctor aspect. Well, right? Right. So, you know, again, we're, we're I mean, Right from the beginning, you're mm -hmm. being prompted to sort of compare yeah. uh, Jex and the Doctor to each other. Um, I think, I think the other thing. So you, yeah, you said like the you know the Doctor, the way he sort of comes at at it. Um, I think is typically also like there's the em empathic right mm -hmm. portion of you. You know, I can't really truly understand what you've gone through. But I kind of wonder how much of his response is precisely because in this case, he can understand. Mm. And, and I wonder, and <laughs> this will be, this is sort of interesting. I mean, we talked about um, before we were started recording, we talked about how these two episodes go really well together. Yeah. But I, I wonder how much of that, the fact that he can understand is, why he thinks that Jack should be punished so severely. And if there's sort of a self, mm -hmm. not, I don't know. Well, self loathing could be part of it, but like more like a self, like that he, he kind of wants someone else out there to be like making him responsible in the same way that he makes other, in this particular case, Jack's, you know, responsible for his crime. So like, like there, there seems to be sort of a, or there could be, you could read into this, I suppose. Yeah. A, a sort of a, a self-diagnosis mm -hmm. to use a doctoral term, uh, you know, of like, you know, he did the same things I did. So, you know, I know how bad those sorts of things are. He deserves, you know, to die for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, or be punished severely at least, um, in some way. Yeah. I, Definitely that, um, that was my reading was like, there's a, yeah, like that self-diagnosis that like, just like Jack says, it's like looking in a mirror. I think whether he means it yeah, this yeah. way, the doctor is definitely, there's a part of his anger at Jack's, which is definitely aimed at himself, which is definitely, I think, why he kind of freaks out more than he normally would because it hits yeah. so closely to home. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, definitely that, and there... that idea of, you know, justice doesn't work like that. You don't get to decide, you know, and you kind of think, okay, well, who would be the right person or group of people to decide the doctor's justice you know like you know and 
here's an interesting thing because the people he's wronged aren't there anymore. So he can't really make amends with the Time Lords because there ain't none. So, you know, that kind of complicates the issue of him ever being able to make this right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no jury of his peers out there to no, absolve him no. or condemn him. No, I mean, at least Jex can face the gunslinger, apologize as best he can, and, you know, let his let the wronged decide what he's going to do. And in the end, you know, Jex kind of ends up making that call for him. You know, the doctor doesn't really have anyone Which... he can do that with. He can't apologize. He can't ask for forgiveness or restitution or give any sort of amends, you know, because they're gone. Um, I was just going to say, and and sort of Jex's final solution there kind of turns out that he does decide when and how. Well, yeah. You know, to to take his punishment, you know, like, so the doctor's kind of wrong there. (laughs) That's true. Um, That's true. Anyway, like, I, I don't know that that's a huge point, because, like, if he didn't do it himself... Well, I guess I guess he could have just escaped and, you know, continued running from Jax or whatever, right. but... Um, yeah, I, I, I think you could read that kind of... You could read that in a kind of cowardly way of, of doing it himself, like, like it's going to be on my terms, but I kind of... Maybe that's not what you meant, but... I kind no, of see I, it. As... I wasn't seeing it as cowardly. I I was I was just pointing out that he's literally the one making the decision. Right. I wasn't necessarily putting any particular emotion or or right. good Value or badness of it. it. it yeah, it, it it's just that he ends up actually being the one to decide. However you see that decision. Right. The doctor is actually wrong in that instance. That Jex is the one who decides when and how yeah. he pays for his pun, you know, for his crimes. And the other thing too, I think, is it calls back this notion that he says to um, the the lynch mob when they're going to come in that you know this idea of violence not being an end to violence that it just perpetrates it, it extends it. So you know that that idea that for Jex, he by by making that decision and doing it himself, he you know, ends the cycle. I guess like he he saved you know the gunslingers had plenty of lives at his hands, but yeah. um, Jex is going to save him that last final one. You know right. that he doesn't right. have to have this burden on his conscience too. I guess which which is also sort of that western or at least Southern um, sort of, uh, you know, like the family feuds type yeah. of, you yeah. know, yeah. one family you kill never my kills brother, the other. I kill and, your cousin. You kill my You know, it goes on for yeah. hundred years or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so there's definitely that sort of aspect to it as well. Um, the, the other thing, the, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Well, I just, before I forget too, with the, um, the, the kind of lynch mob scene. Um, yeah. The, the bit that always jumps out to me is uh, my favorite bit at the end when he, 
he kind of turns around and shrugs it off to Rory and Amy and says, frightened people, give me a Dalek any day. Um, mm-hmm. And this notion that the the scared people are more of a threat and more kind of... Oh, yeah. Not only more threatening, but more sort of just confusing on like a moral and ethical level than, mm-hmm. you know... A Dalek is very straightforward. <laughs> you know, whatever else a sure. Dalek is, you know what it wants and what it's going to do. You know, whereas to try to reason with good people who are scared and are being, you know, frightened into doing bad things. You know, you think of like Midnight or like one of these episodes where the people are scarier than, you know, whatever the monster is. Um Yeah. Well, and and just that idea of, like, um, I forget who it is that actually says it, but they're like, you know, we don't have any quarrel with the the doctor. We just trying to look out for our families. And it's like, well, you know, that excuse only goes so far when, like, you're talking about murder. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that, like, protecting your families by killing someone else like that. There's a line, I feel like, that's being crossed here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other, and so sort of before we get on beyond too far, like the doctor and Collar Jackson and gunslinger, there's, a, you know, we also have the standard Western trope of the sheriff, mm-hmm. right. Um, who's kind of overseeing things, but I like what they did here. And I like that the sheriff here really is like the heart of mercy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like literally of, of the town, you know, he's the one keeping the order and whatever, but like, He's also the one who I I find it kind of funny that like there's sort of some question as to the the doctor brings up the question and as to whether the the constable would uh continue to advocate for mercy hmm. uh if he knew what Collar Jacks had done and then he finds out and he's like okay but <laughs> right. he's also he's also the one who cured our town of cholera like like he's the one who is actually taking on the role that the doctor usually plays in those instances um of being the one who's merciful and who's understanding and seeing things in a little you know a few more shades of gray Mm -hmm. than the sort of black and white that the doctor's painting with and so um i find that interesting first of all because like um one, I kind of, I kind of like that that analogy of you know him being the heart of mercy, like mm-hmm. you know of being that sort of he's the conscience of the town. Yeah, and and in westerns, that's like there is a sense where I guess like sheriffs are kind of the heart of the town, or at least like you know you get sort of the wider stuff, mm-hmm. you know, where like he comes in and cleans it up, but it's not ever in that way. The way that it's usually done in Westerns is he's the hard guy who comes in and has to shoot everyone down and, you know, shoot all the bad guys down, chase them out of town. This is completely opposite. This is this is the sheriff, again, being merciful and kind and being forgiving. And, you know, he's not locking up jacks in jail because he did something wrong he's locking him up in jail to protect him right. you know what i mean right. like 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 this whole idea of um that you know it's it, he's 
I like that because I feel like that's how cops should be sure. and that's how sheriffs should be. And you hear, you know, day after day, these stories of terrible things that cops do in sort of the name of law and order and justice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they turn out to be fraud and, you know, deceit and just violent and racist and, you know, like all these different right. things that are, you know, terrible about cops. And so I like that you get, you don't get sort of that stereotype re-portrayed here again that same old kind of thing but you get you get the 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 guy who actually is about keeping the peace like that's you know literally what he's trying to do well and 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 the thing that jogged my memory of that was you're bringing up the violence doesn't beget you know violence just begets more violence like it's like this is actually a cop who's about you know toning down the situation rather than ratcheting it up uh, so anyway. Yeah. And then, so if the doctor, if Jax is a foil for the doctor, then the sheriff is kind of a foil for the gunslinger because that's his sure. role at the end is, you know, his, uh, once, you know, his sort of, he's run out of people to avenge himself on. And I do like that. Um, they emphasize that as much as possible, the gunslinger really doesn't want to or take innocent lives. Like, the only life we see him take, I think, is the sheriff's, and that's kind of accidental because he jumps and pushes... Because the sheriff is protecting... Pushes Jax out of the way. So the gunslinger's not about... He kind of threatens that he's going to slaughter the town, but he doesn't. You know, he comes in, he doesn't, like open fire he he doesn't shoot at people he knows aren't jacks he doesn't open fire on the church full of people he could slaughter the town and he doesn't and then at the end he kind of says well you know this is over now i don't have anywhere to go because i'm a a weapon you know meant for war and there's no purpose for me and the doctor says well but you could use that to protect peace and which is what he does you know that he then becomes this guardian who keeps law and order in the town and they have kind of no other law enforcement, really. It sounds like it it doesn't sound like they really need it, that he does an effective and bloodless job is, you know, I don't think he's keeping peace with an iron fist. It sounds like to me that it's a little utopian society that he's sort of protecting, Um, you know, so that he kind of, becomes the replacement for the sheriff in that way that is you know is the lawman but a peaceful one i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah so um well yeah so i think i guess just to sort of close out all of that sort of Dr. Jack's gunslinger sheriff foursome there. Um, Like, I don't, I honestly don't know how I feel about Jack's sort of killing himself Mm -hmm. at the end, because there's like, on the one hand, like I see how you can look at it as like, okay, I'm doing the thing I need to do. But on the other hand, yes, he's done these terrible things. But 
you still get that. So has the doctor. Yeah. So it's like if you're if you're sort of equating the two, are we saying like that's what the doctor should do as mm. well? Um, yeah. And so it, like, here's a and, question. I'm I don't have an answer to this, but is the only difference between them the fact that Jex has someone? Who is hunting him down, making him answer for his crimes, you know, whereas the doctor, again, <clears throat> doesn't have that, you know, and maybe in some ways he wishes he did, but that makes it a very different situation that he's sort of. Except. Well, and I don't know, I mean, realizing that Doctor Who stories tend to be sort of standalone and maybe with sort of loose arc okay. stuff going between. Mm. That's exactly what you had with the Pandorica, mm. right? And the different races coming after the Doctor sure. to put him and shut him up and whatever. And at that point, we had a very different sort of opinion of, like, the Doctor shouldn't be killed at this point. Right. Like, even though, yes, he has caused a lot of pain and suffering. Like, we get it, okay. But, you know, it's also... That's also sort of complicated a little bit, I think, by the fact that, like, all, all of these races are, like, wartime races that, well, like, see, want to kill the Doctor. And I think But then, is... but, but, okay. but, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. like, the whole point is that Jex did his stuff in the context of war, too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, like, if, again, it comes back to that, if you're going to forgive one yeah. And forget then you have to forgive the other. And if you're not gonna forgive Double one, standard, and if you're yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna say, well, it's good that and maybe I maybe people don't think it's good. I'm sure there are some who think it's good that Jex kills himself at the end mm -hmm. to sort of face his crimes or whatever. But then like there's also there's also the aspect of it's not Jex and the doctor being compared, but it's the doctor and the gunslinger being compared because the doctor is the one who's relentless in going after, you know, he's the oncoming storm right. that the gunslinger sort of is like, you know, here. And, and he's the one who hunts down, you know, the bad the, guys, yeah. the bad guys mercilessly, right. <laughs> you know? Right. So like, I, you know, I, I feel like there's, and like, and I, I mean, I think that's the sign of a well-written story. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm not seeing this as like a complaint with the story. No, it's complicated. I think it's good that, You're supposed to be... I think it's good that we're thinking about yeah. this stuff. So like. And it makes you realize you know. like how complicated it is to say up with the good guys, down with the bad guys. Well, when our good guys do bad things, do we hold them to the same standards? Yeah. Um, and actually you saying the word mercilessly again, they're triggered something which I totally forgot about which is, you know, way back in the first story that Toby Whithouse wrote in that kind of westerny showdown with, uh, with Tennant and Anthony Head in the pool room. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He, you know, what does the doctor say there? You know, I, I'm so old now. I used to have so much mercy. You know, you get one warning, mm -hmm. this is it. Mm -hmm. um, so this kind of idea that his mercy is something which is potentially draining, <laughs> you know? And and yeah. now we're a long time after that, <laughs> and we kind of see that that's sort of true. Like, he's a bit less, you know, certainly in the context of this episode. Um, yeah. At first, you know, 
it does seem like his patience and his mercy have worn a bit thin. Um, and I think it's like a slight quality shift too of how, even though we don't kind of bring up the time war, I think we're supposed to be thinking about it with these war oh, crimes yeah. and everything. Totally. Um, yeah, totally. And the kind of a, a, a shift here of away from, which I think we've seen before, but you know, with the ninth and the 10th doctor, it was more about the um, remorse and the kind of angst over his loss and, and what happened and what he had to do and the guilt of that, you know, and again, we've talked about with the 11th doctor, that slight removal that it was a long time into the tent, into the 11th doctor's uh, tenure before he, we even brought up the time war again. Like it seemed like it was something that he'd sort of, you know, not totally moved on from, but kind of pushed aside a bit or relieved that burden a bit. And now when it does come up, it's less about the remorse of, oh, I'm sad for what happened and what I did. And it's more about, in a way, it's a little bit angrier, you know, whether angry at the bad guys for what they've done or what they made him do or what he had to do, you know, anger at himself. It's this kind of, you know you wish he he wishes he could change it or he wishes he could confront it or he wishes he could you know pay for it or something you know like the, there's more I don't know how to characterize it but to me there's like a slightly different quality of the way that he relates to that event I guess um mm. I feel like I yeah. just rambled through that and I don't really know what I'm saying but I don't know how to <laughs> There's something that's different. I can't quite put my finger on it, but to me, yeah. it seems a bit, it's this gradual shift. Um, so. Um, the other, the other thing, I guess, and maybe we can close out our discussion of Dr. and Jackson gunslinger, mm -hmm. but the other, the other thing is that like, I do think I, and maybe this goes along with just even what you were saying, like with the, the things that Jax did, like you get the sense that he was doing these experiments for like a long time. Mm -hmm. And yes, they were sort of to, um, you know, bring about the, yeah, there's, there's very much a Manhattan project feel sure. to, to what he's doing. Yeah. Right. So it's like, we know that this is going to be very destructive, but it's necessary. But there's also the attitude of, but I'm, I'm only doing science. I'm not actually hurting anyone per se, despite how my creations may be used. Mm -hmm. And I think there, that scene, I mean, we don't, we don't ever see the doctor like in the time war making the decision mm -hmm. to do what he does. Uh, we see the after effects and especially with like, um, you know, the end of, of like right before, you know, he's changing and, and all of the, you know, time lords potentially coming back. Like we right. see sort of that aspect right, of right, it. Right. Um, so we can get a little bit of a glimpse, but like you get the feeling that this was like, he was on the run. He had this decision before him. And for better or worse, 
he had to pull a trigger mm-hmm. or not pull a trigger mm-hmm. and he pulled the trigger. Right. You know what I mean? So like like there's there's an element of like I made this one decision and either way, whatever way I made it, it would have had a drastic effect on the people, all the people in the universe. Yeah. People I love, you know, other people, whatever. Whereas with Jax, you get the sense that it was an ongoing, continual mm-hmm. uh, process and repeated decisions to keep doing these horrific things right. to, you know, these different people. Again, with perhaps, on a surface level at least, a motive of, mm-hmm. you know, that that's at least somewhat good. Yeah. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know necessarily what to make of it, but I do think that there's, I do think that there is some different quality, kind of like what you were saying yeah. uh, a few minutes ago, like even between those actions and maybe yeah. that's the difference between Jack, Jack should die and the doctor shouldn't. But like, again, that's still like, I still keep coming back to that. Was that a good thing? I mean, it did kind of put Jax back in control of his own fate and he makes that decision for himself and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But like, on the other hand, he saved some people and he's doing good now. Mm -hmm. And he even state, like, I think we can take him honestly when he says like, all I ever wanted to do was to help people. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think we can take that sincerely the way in which he went about doing it in some cases right. can certainly be questioned. I think yeah. at least the intention is, is, you know, sincere in that instance. Anyway, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the other thing, so you can kind of compare, like you said, like the quality of what they did, like the doctor's sort of spur of the moment, potentially, or somewhat spur, like, he that, wasn't, that's the way it we've always I sort think of, so too. Like I don't presented think, to us. Yeah, I, like anyway. he wasn't uh yeah, that th- th- you have the sense of this was an act of war, like in a in a particular moment, you know, he you know used the moment to end the war. Mm-hmm. You know, that it wasn't necessarily something that he literally a moment. A moment. <laughs> um whereas, yeah, like this notion of like experimental unethical you know practices which you know not only you know ruin the lives of your subjects but like torture them it sounds like you know that they Mm -hmm. like were experimented on and presumably there were failed experiments before they found the right way to go about it so like you know you don't even really know how many people he did this to and like how horrible it was and but so there's a difference there um whereas like you can't really see the doctor doing that in any context you know but the other difference you know is this notion of saving you know a greater amount of people by sacrificing a smaller amount you know so you kind of have jack's you know however many people he soldiers he did this to to save you know his whole planet or something and so that's kind of how he talks himself into it is well right. if i sacrifice these you know 100 people i'll save a billion you know um now 
you know, with the doctor is making a very similar decision, but the scale is very different, you know, sacrificing all of the Time Lords to save, you know, the whole of the universe. So is what he did to the Time Lords worse than what Jex did to his subjects? Well, maybe not, but he did it to a heck of a lot more of them. <laughs> so there's that aspect, too, of the the just the scale of a genocide, you know? So yeah, it's yeah. really complicated. And I think that's what makes it uncomfortable in this episode is, like, it it is really hard to condemn Jex without condemning the Doctor, too. Um which I'm but it's not also saying, hard to forgive him. Yeah, I'm not saying maybe the doctor needs a little condemnation. I don't, you know, I'm not saying one way or the other, but like, I I do think that is a sign of a well written episode that it brings up those questions, and there are really no easy answers to it. Yeah. So in the well, we're technically out of time, but we'll talk about Amy and Rory too here because I feel like this sort of segues nicely into that. Because if if you have the sheriff is you know the heart of mercy, mm. then you have Amy as sort of being the conscience of the doctor yeah. here too, you know, and um, Rory kind of being the uh, hard ass of the doc. No, like what what would you call it? Like sure. the the opposite of the the empathetic you know response um i don't know um i mean he's sort of being the hardline you know justice guy uh you know as well so like but the difference with worry of course is that he's not willing to do it himself he's just sort of right he'll let the doctor do it this is what what should be done um yeah he frames it as letting him save us all like this is so yeah a the doctor's gonna do it i'm not pulling the trigger and b this is a good thing this is him again sacrificing someone who you know deserves it to save everybody else so again you have the you know sacrifice of the few for the good of the many kind of idea yeah um um yeah i mean it's a little it's a little surprising for Rory the nurse, but also, you know, yeah, in the context of, you know, what they are told of Jex's war crimes, I don't think it's completely out of, um, completely out of character for him to do that. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, we already sort of talked about Amy and you know, her having the gun and the doctor and the standoff. Um, so I don't know that we know need to go into it real deeply there, but um, you do get this sense of, I, I guess it all comes down to that line where it, it's a very Donna-esque line mm-hmm. of, you know, her saying to the doctor, this is what happens when you travel too much by yourself. You know, yeah. you need someone to be with you. Yeah. Sometimes and I need someone. And so you get at the end then, you get the doctor wanting to go off and show them where all the stray pets or whatever. What was it? What what was it that they? Oh, I can't remember now. he was going to take him to see? I can't remember now. Yeah, anyway. anyway. So um, neither here nor there. Like he wants to go off and show them something cool. Yeah. And, and Amy stops him and is like, well, actually, let's hold off a little bit. So 
one, I'm curious to see what happens next. Mm -hmm. And two, like, he is a time traveler. So (laughs) he could just take them home and then immediately jump a year into the future and pick them up again. Like, he doesn't, like, I feel like we have this recurring theme of the doctor going off on these adventures on his own Mm -hmm. when it's like all they're asking for is a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. And that's precisely the one thing he can absolutely give them. And not take away from himself. So, like, there's no reason for him to not... Mm-hmm. To, to There's no reason for him to be on his own, I guess, is where I'm kind of going with mm. that. So, like, I'm curious to see how that actually plays out. If he does do that, or if he, you know, pulls another... Right. I'm going off to marry Queen Elizabeth. Right, and, right. you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think... That's a really good question. Um, so one of the interesting yeah. bits too is the the note about you know our our friends are going to notice that we're aging faster than them. That like you know they always go away and they stay for who knows how long and then they come back and they've aged but they're coming back to the same time they left. So you know you get this kind right. of you know Rip Van Winkle effect, I guess, to bring that back up again. Um, but yeah. so. That might play into... I mean, I don't know the answer. Like, to me, that would be one aspect of, like, why doesn't the Doctor just skip forward every time? And I think that's maybe part of it, that they're starting to age, that they've been doing this for a while. And I think there's a notion of, uh, kind of like with kids, wanting time to slow down a bit and not rush and not, you know... Um, and he would bring them if he could but you know more increasingly we're seeing them say after an adventure mm, we're good for now you know like yeah they've done that right. it happened after they've the done last that one. after the it's, last se- several you know it, they have an adventure and then he takes them home at their request so and it it's becoming more like the adventures are more like vacations it, right. it's kind of it's kind of like the transition from like college life to like work life, right. you know, like, right. you know, you were, you were in college and you could go anywhere and do everything. And yeah, you went to class every once in a while, but like, you know, yeah. uh, now you're graduated and out in the real world and maybe still living in your parents' basement, but you have to get a job and pay for stuff right. and, right. you know, pay back your loans and do all that. So yeah, it's, it's that sort of idea of life sort of, impinging on yeah you know your ability to go out and just travel yeah um the so yeah so just kind of curious to see how that plays out um and and to see how the doctor sort of handles that um it i mean the implication here being that you know we know that they did go home Mm -hmm. for a while after the last one the implication being that the doctor did go off for some time. He says he's 1200 or something yeah. like at this point. So like I, I lost track of like where, <laughs> where he he's was supposed to be before. Yeah. And, and I know that that's sort of a recurring thing. Yeah. Like he just sort of gives out, yeah. like he may or may not be that right. old actually. Right. But right. like, yeah, the idea being that he's probably been away for a while, yeah. perhaps years. Yeah. And, and know, Amy, between the last one in and the one. last episode, Amy said the gaps are getting longer. So maybe not only for him, but for them too, like, longer periods where they don't see him and yeah we don't know how long for him subjectively has it been um and but it sounds but if he's 
but I think, you know, his kind of, we are supposed to hear that Donna note there of, you know, promise me you'll find someone because you need someone to stop you. You know, that his mercilessness is related to his, somewhat related to his relationship or lack of with the companions. Um, yeah. That they seem to have a kind of corollary effect on each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and he may be meeting up with other people, you know, wherever, like, I mean, but if so, it seems like they're probably one-offs like right. Nefertiti and right. whatever that guy's and name was. And I think was, there you know, is a difference between the people we see who he meets and likes and gets along with and has an adventure and an actual companion, you know, like an Amy yeah, yeah, or yeah. a Rose or whatever, who's there as his conscience and kind of, reminding him of all these things that he forgets so um and then the other aspect of at this point i think correct me if i'm wrong Mm -hmm. at least for the new series these are his longest companions that he's had yet right so um yeah we had not counting the odd extra episodes or specials here, we Rose was there for two seasons. Yeah, I, you know, I was and, thinking. Yeah. Well, I, well, and you know, in terms I of their, well, in terms of our time with them, the amount of episodes they're in, but also in terms of the amount of time they're like their subjective time too. Um, right. Didn't Roy yeah, in I, the last was... episode say he was thirty-one? <laughs> I don't know if you caught that, but he did. Um, okay. So. If we met them, I mean, he met Amy when she was seven, you know, and, well, you know, yeah, yeah. but I believe they were in their early 20s when they started actually, you know, traveling with him consistently. So, yeah, that's a heck of a lot longer right. than any of the others well, and there, in the new series. You know, there was some forwards and backwards. Yeah, and it gets confusing. And, but... You know, whatever. So, like, but, like, yeah, like, there is... There's definitely this aspect of, I think you're right. Like, I mean, I was thinking in terms of our viewpoint, but for them, yeah, for like both, even, yeah, even even them, like even longer. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, there is that aspect of, you know, as you grow, your friendships and relationships do sort of shift and change too. So, like, there's that that sort of thing going on as well it seems like but also the sense Um, of the uh you know the longer you uh are with something the more attached you get so you know um you know we've seen him try to give them up and not really (laughs) be able to do that you know that he's done that a, a couple times and and so now we have him like kind of dropping them off between adventures but he still comes back for the next one after however long. So it not being so easy a thing as just moving on, you know? Um, mm-hmm. yep. So, yeah, a little bit of tension there. We might see some of that tension played out in the next episode or two, so we'll see. Uh-huh. Hmm. hmm. So, okay, well, we should probably move on. Okay. Uh, yes. Un- unless you have any one last thought uh nope i don't think so um no just that i was thrilled when i watched 
Sanctuary and saw how well the two episodes work together. And, and they there's really do. so much about the ethics of justice, I think. And what yeah. do you do with art? You know, what, what constitutes an irredeemable person? You know, is there such a thing? Mm. Um, you know, can people change? Should they be given chances when maybe they objectively don't deserve them? Um, how can you trust them when they say they want to change? All these kinds of, you know, right? all these kinds of things. Yeah. Is, I was very happy um, that they worked out like that. Um, I guess before, the first thing I we wanted to mention was that this is a Joss Whedon and Tim Minear co-written script. So, you know, you know it's going to be a big one when you see them at the yeah. top of the marquee. Um, and you know it's probably going to be a good one, too. Um, so, which I think this definitely was. So I want to... I'm probably going to go all over the place. Um, <laughs> because it... They, Shocking. It, it, they, are all, they all are sort of intertwined and in dialogue with each other. But I guess let's start with Faith. Um, and, you know, because she's kind of the subject of the episode... Um, so we have, you know, her breaking down at the end of the last episode and kind of asking for a merciful death, I guess, from Angel, um, and him not giving it to her, you know, instead he, it, it's when she, this is when it gets so complicated, because it's when she asks for death that you know she doesn't deserve it. <laughs> like, your ability to, right, right. your ability to, you know feel remorse for your own evil and mistakes is what marks you out as a person who could change, you know, that that insight into yourself and, you know, I guess recognizing the problem is the first step towards resolving the problem. Um, mm. So, so Angel doesn't kill her. He doesn't give her to, the watchers council or to the police he takes her back to the apartment instead um and one of the first things that struck me when in that first couple minutes when they're there you know you know she's very withdrawn and quiet and in her head and she doesn't really want to talk about it. she just wants to you know go to sleep and um the moment when she says angel and he says yes and he turns around and then there's that kind of split second of her attacking him um and they kind of look at each other and i love the way you're not quite sure whose vision that was <laughs> or at least i'm not um sure like it hmm. seems plausible to me that it could be either way is whose fear is this um maybe it's both you know i don't know um but yeah, like that's a I, big question of of Faith's fear of her own knowing what she's capable of and starting to see it for the kind of monstrousness that it is. But also, Angel's taking a big risk, you know, as Cordy and Wesley are happy to point out to him by letting her in and giving her access to him and his house and everything. Um, and she sure. could turn on him at any minute, basically. There's nothing to stop her doing that. So sure. I I will say that I 
always sort of took that as faiths. Mm. Um, but, like, you bring up a good question. I don't know that I've ever really considered that it could possibly be Angel is the one sort of projecting that or imagining that. And I think you're right. It could possibly be read as both of their sort of simultaneous uh, fears. So, I, yeah, I don't, I guess just sort of, I've always read it as, as faith. And I, and I guess the way that I read it to kind of dig into that a little bit more was it, it was her sort of having those same, um, those same uh, feelings that she continues to have Mm -hmm. of being sort of a psychopath Mm -hmm. um, and acknowledging that those didn't go away. Like, even though she wants to be forgiven and wants, and, and the reason that the thing that makes me think about it and why I think it's her is because we get a similar scene when she is in Buffy's body and talking to Willow. Yeah. Right. We get we get that moment of her like going up and stabbing Willow and um you know and then it cuts back and it's her just kind of shaking her that's head. That's like, true. I hadn't thought of that, whatever. but that's a good so, point. Yeah. So th- I I think I've always sort of tied those two together. Um but that's not to say that you couldn't also see this as Angel sort of questioning whether he's right and taking her in mm-hmm. and trying to help her out. Um, yeah. We, we sort of, you know, in the, in the straight text of the episode, if you want to call it that, like we don't ever get him sort of expressing any doubt. Like he, he's always supportive, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. Sure. And that, that could be a hint into his sort of questioning of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Possible. Um, yeah, and just the way that they both know that she's capable of this, but they're both willing to at least, for the time being, set that aside <laughs> and and work on it. You know, so there, so that kind of awkward. She starts to say something, and then she says, nah, "Never mind," and they don't go there. Like, you know, they both know they don't. I don't know what she was going to say or anything, but like they both have a sense of they're going to set some things aside in order to try to help her. Um, And they kind of both agree to do that, I guess. Um, Mm. Yeah. But so, so I like the way that that kind of, it does acknowledge that. Yeah. If, if you've been a psychopath, you don't just sort of wake up one morning and, all of that's fixed, you know. You may decide to change and decide successfully, but, you know, uh, not having those feelings is going to take a long time, I think. Um, for, I guess, to stay on faith a little bit, um, mm-hmm. the next big thing... Um, that I kind of want to point out is a couple things in this other conversation that she has with Angel about, um, and we called after the Doctor Who episode, we called this, uh, we all carry our presence with us, but, you know, so Faith's notion of 
am I a prisoner? No. So I'm free. Well, I don't know about that. You know, that <laughs> yeah. she, not all prisons are, you know, visible. They're not all about walls and right. bars that, you know, right. her freedom is in herself, you know, and especially after we've had the body switching thing, you know, her problem doesn't even go away when she switches bodies. Her problems are psychological, <laughs> you know, so her, yeah. she literally carries her prison with her and, you know, her freedom isn't about where she can go. It's about being, you know, enslaved to this notion of who she's been and who she has to be um, yeah. and her own fears. And to jump ahead to the end uh, for a second, I like the fact that they bring that up and then at the end we get her <clears throat> in a prison, in a literal prison. Um, and I'm not sure that we've ever seen her more free or more peaceful. <laughs> so, like, kind of, you know, bringing up this notion that Faith's rehabilitation is not necessarily linked to where she is physically, but it's about her sense of peace with herself. Um, so even when she's free in Angel's apartment, uh, unless she confronts, you know, these problems, she's not really free or she's not going to be free. Yeah. And I guess the first part of that, you know, being Angel sort of prompting her to apologize to somebody, you know, for something. Right. You know, whether it's, even if it's just to Wesley for, you know, using all the popcorn or something. Like you know, you really have to, the difference seems to be that remorse, that feeling, yeah. you know, feeling the pain and the sorrow for what you've done and wanting to, you know, apologize or make amends, even if you can't, like she doesn't want to apologize because, well, there's nothing I can do about it. So what's the point, you know, cause she has this notion of justice that I have to make it right. And if I can't, then there's no point in me even trying. Um, right. You know, whereas Angel has learned, like, it's not, even though we have Angel kind of living a life of penitence, it's more, it's not about righting all the wrongs. It's about wanting to change and wanting to be different yeah. and to make, you know, you wanting to make up for what you did is more important than actually making up for what you did in the first place, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, <laughs> this might be a funny comparison, but it's kind of the opposite of like the famous Yoda quote, right? The do or do not, there is no try yeah. angels, angels sort of like, actually the only thing you can do is try yeah. because you can never do enough. Like there's right. not, you, there's you no can't such ever, yeah. you can't ever accomplish it. The important part is actually the trying. Yeah. Uh, and that's that sort of seems to be what he's getting at here. Um, yeah, that notion of you know the it's the thought that counts. It is almost. like that's that, that's kind of like a trite way of saying it. But what what matters is you know your yeah you can't undo what you've done. So repentance is really the key thing. You know, um, and letting the people that you've wronged know that. Um, again, we're, I'm just thinking of like all the parallels between the two episodes, you know, cause whereas 
the doctor can't apologize to the people he's wronged necessarily or not to all of them here faith does get you know she has the opportunity to you know it with angel urging her to apologize to wesley and to buffy you know then she has a shot at being free he says like she has the opportunity to it's going to be tough because they're going to be mad at you and you're going to have to live with that you know they're not just going to magically forgive you but her shot at freedom is to you know be as you know sorry to them as she can be i guess yeah um i mean the other big breakthrough i think too there's a lot of big breakthroughs here but not only does she feel sorry for what she's done which is way more than we've ever seen her be before but she actually says how you know wrong her actions were to Buffy in the first place like not like well you pissed me off and I did something and I'm sorry for it but her kind of realizing she was totally unjustified in the first place that Buffy was there for her you know Buffy extended her friendship and her kindness and, you know, went out of her way for her and her only response was to screw her in every way that she possibly could. Um, and, you know, so this is some pretty deep thoughts from Faith here that we're getting that like, like to me, that's a big deal too. Not just, well, I'm sorry for what I did, but you know, I was wrong to even, that she completely reconceptualizes Buffy from, from, from putting Buffy on the like little miss perfect goody two shoes pedestal and mocking her for that. Now mm -hmm. that she's praising Buffy for that, that Buffy always did the right thing and that was good. And I was wrong to despise her for it, I guess. Um, so, like, her whole worldview's kind of been turned upside down. Like, you know, yeah. coming to recognize that Buffy's been the good guy all along. Um, and it was her fault if she couldn't recognize that, I guess. Yeah. And, and you know, although, like, she still sort of has the instincts. Like, even just talking about, like, with the whole, like, flash of potentially stabbing Angel. Mm -hmm. But, like, um, you know, her instinct to run. But yeah. she's able, like, at this point, it's, it's not, again, it's not like, you know, it's like one of those things that's like, you know, just because you, like, fall in love with someone doesn't mean you necessarily stop noticing people who are attractive to you or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're, those people are still going to be attractive to you, but there's, it's like now you have this other thing in your life and now you have to make the decision that this that you want to build something better yeah. there so like this is kind of what faith is doing it's like she still has these urges and you know things that are sort of leading her to do these things but like she's able something that she either wasn't able or perhaps willing to do before it's like now she has that willingness and i think you're right like there is when you know it's one of those things where like you know how like you just when you make a decision it's like suddenly it's like that's all you need. Like you just needed to make the decision. Yeah. It's not that like 
it was ever hard to do one thing or the other. What was hard was getting over that hump of actually deciding which one to do. And then once you decide it, you're just like, oh, well, that's easy. Like, I don't have to even think about what I need to do anymore because I already know what I have to do. I've made that decision. This is what I'm going with. And sometimes that's, I mean, and that can be like, I don't mean to say that even tritely because that sometimes is extraordinarily hard. And there are people who, you know, get locked up over you know, decisions of all various kinds throughout life. And I mean, I'm sure everyone goes through it at some point or another. So like, this is almost like now that faith has made that decision, like, and I don't mean to imply that it's always easy per se either, but like it is easier in a way because now it's like, now I know what I have to do. It's just now actually doing it. And so it's like, you know, these things, you know, she's still going to have these instincts, but she's, she is now able to sort of stop herself and think about like, okay, these are the implications of yeah. doing this. And, yeah. She starts and, to run a couple times, but she's able yeah. to stop herself yeah. each time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's definitely, definitely we can see that as progress and as, you know, uh, I mean, the fact that, you know, by the end of the episode, she's not just, she's not just actively, you know, she's not just stopping herself from running, but she's actively going in and turning herself in and being willing. And so, and so you get, and of course there's the reference, you know, back to like with Wesley and the council guys there, you know, sort of, or no, I'm sorry. It was with Wesley and Angel where Angel you know, it was like reminding Wesley we had this conversation about, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Wesley's like, no, I get it. The cops can't ever hold mm-hmm. her. Well, you know, again, by the end of the movie or the end of the episode, I mean, we get, you know, again, similar to, I mean, it's a different outcome, but similar to Jack's where it is actually Faith who's making the decision about how yeah. and when she's choosing and, and the cops you know, can honestly, hold her if she wants to stay there <laughs> right exactly and and that's and that's the difference is that she's taking responsibility yeah. and repenting in her sort of way of the, the at least this one thing you know the murder yeah. that she did i mean it's it's a beginning it's certainly not right. going to cover everything but it's and i i like that about the ending that the solution it's not Faith goes to jail because that's what she does or doesn't deserve. It's she makes that that's the decision she makes because it's the right thing for her own redemption story. You know, I assume I, I think that's what we're getting, you know, um, she may have kind of period. I'm sure she's always going to be the anti-hero. I'm sure there's going to be times where, she's not necessarily the straight arrow that Buffy is, but, you know, I think this is kind of the turning point towards Faith, you know, redeeming herself. And it seems like this is what she needs to do in order to do that, you know? Um, So it's not necessarily about, in the end, like, people, justice being done upon her. It's about her recognizing you know, what she needs to do to sort of atone to herself, you know? Yeah. Um, Right. Well, right. And it's recognizing that aspect of it, that it's, 
literally for her own good. Yeah. Like it's not it's not just like right that you need to do this, you know, for the good of society. Right, like to protect to pay everyone your, else, you from know, whatever. Her, yeah. Right. Like if that were the case, yeah, they wouldn't be able to hold her. But it's it's her recognizing that this actually would be a good thing for her mm-hmm. to to do. So Yeah, and I do like that last shot where you know she seems in that moment to me the most sort of at peace that we've ever seen her <laughs> you know yeah. i i mean i'm it's not that easy you know and and i don't i think obviously that you wake up the next day and you have all these you know i'm not saying problem solved and she's you know at peace now or or that she's totally right. reformed but it seems like there's a weight lifted that, like you said, the decision's been made and she's done something about it. And there's something of that that's lifted some of the burden that she's been carrying. Um, Mm. And, and right. And you do get the sense like with Angel and Buffy talking there, you know, and you get like the, well, I hope she can actually do it. Like there is this sense of like the reformed addict, you know, of like, there's always a potential, It just takes one hit, yep. you know, to get her back on the, or have her fall off You're going to get cravings, thing. you know, 20 yeah. years after yeah. you've quit for the rest of your life, basically, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, who who knows right. Whether what it and how that'll end. happen, but, you know, um, it definitely, you know, definitely for Faith, like, I mean, I this is clearly sort of, I think, a turning point that we're meant to see it as. Mm-hmm. Um, also a turning point between Angel and Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I did, was not expecting Buffy. Um, so I want to contextualize this because, and, and I don't know, it's actually not something that I really thought about until I was kind of doing a little reading Um, as well and I don't know that I've ever really thought about it this way when I watched it in the past at least I don't remember thinking about it this way um the the do you remember the last time we saw Buffy and Angel together uh was it when their day got erased yeah it was I will remember you okay I I couldn't remember if there's something after that but yeah yeah no that's it and and so right so there's this whole experience that Buffy's doesn't have any concept for Right, and that Angel does. Right. And and I think, you know, and so we get this, like, I think there's a nice little metaphor maybe going here, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, probably doesn't matter, but of the conversation at the end there where, where Angel is, like, talking about, you know, every time I see you, it, you know, kind of tears me up a little, and it's like this, and, it, and, there, and so when you're thinking about that, and I don't think I ever thought about it sort of as explicitly as I did this time around. Yeah. Of, of, yeah, that last time that he saw her, yeah, there was this whole, like, perfect day mm-hmm. thing that he then lost, and but still remembers. So, for her, it's like, what, I saw you five minutes, you know, right. like, right. last and time? Right, and it buys and it her went... a bit more sympathy, I think, for why she's, I mean, you understand why she's upset. She catches them in what looks like something that it's not. You want, I don't. I don't think Buffy's unsympathetic, but even more so, like, you know, how kind of angry she is at Angel, I think with the loss of that episode from her perspective, she has even Mm -hmm. less reason to be sort of 
understanding for him, you know? Yeah. And the fact that she does have something pretty serious now with Riley and he doesn't. And like, it's that, it's that idea of like, what is she holding on to? Like, why? Right. Like, you know. What he, and, business and is it of hers? I, I like how he, he sort of calls her out on that and is like, you know, look, you have all this new life, this new guy, you know, all these things that I can't have anymore. Yeah. And that that it actually, you know, the whole reason why we split up is because is actually more dangerous for you to be around. And so you coming here isn't to protect me. It's to check up on me. It's, you know, like, like you heard faith was here and you're coming to find her and see what, you know, things are going on. Like Mm. this is, don't pretend that it's about me. Like it's really about you and her. And it actually has nothing to do with you. Like you need to go. So I, I like that he kind of calls her out and um, Joss Whedon actually, you know, sort of explains some of that um, in a, in an article uh, where he, he's talking about um, that sort of the last scene, especially where it's like, he actually said that this is, so here we are at the end of season one of angel. And he says, like this is where I finally realized what Angel the show was, mm. and 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 like this is like up until now, and and really, you know, this whole first season, which isn't all that different from Buffy's first season, except that you know it's twice as long. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, this whole this whole first season is pretty monster of the week. I yeah. mean, you get a little bit of arc and a little bit of you know, recurring story with like Kate a bit, but like, I mean, you know, it's really pretty heavily monster of the week. So this is like, you know, this is Joss Whedon sort of epiphany moment of, okay, now I really understand what angel the show is. And it's not Buffy. Mm. (laughs) Like this is, so this is until now you've got this sort of promise of the crossover and we've had a couple, you know, crossovers and stuff you know, between the two shows and that's great and it's fun, but like actually you kind of need to get away from Mm -hmm. that as a show and, and in a character perspective, like that was the whole premise for Angel leaving. So to keep having Buffy sort of pop up and complicate things and, you know, uh, sort of doing her thing, interferes and doesn't let yeah doesn't let angel the character or the show move on in its own way you know in their own way so um yeah it kind anyway, of it, think, as whenever a buffy character turns up or even just when they're not there but you know they're kind of hovering around it kind of turns angel into like a series equivalent of like dr light like even when the doctor's not mm. there, it's still about the doctor. You know, in fact, the Doctor Light <laughs> yeah. episodes are in some ways more about the doctor than the other episodes. You know, sure. they're about the sure. absence of the doctor and what that means. It's kind of like that with Buffy. Like when she turns up, it kind of all does come become about Buffy. Um, and when she's not there, you're aware of the fact that she's over there. You know that this is what we're doing. Like 
this is the show about what happens in the Buffyverse down the street from where Buffy is, you know, but we're kind of always aware of, you know, the real show is kind of over there. Um, so that's kind of cool to hear, like, them make that realization and, you know, yeah, like, Angel should be more, should be about more than just Angel without Buffy. You right, know? right. Like, and th- and this is sort of where it developed. Like, this is the turning. So, you know, if this is like the turning point in Faith's character, this is kind of the turning point in the show as well. Um, you know, where it becomes that, and Faith almost becomes a catalyst for that, right? Yeah. Because it's because uh, just like you have Rory and Amy, you know, having such different opinions about how. Uh, you know the how color jacks should be handled you know this is yeah. angel and buffy having such only this is them saying we need to go our separate ways whereas yeah. rory and amy at least at the end they're still together right right um, well and i think it works with faith too because it, it it's a dramatic enough thing for angel to say to buffy get out of the show <laughs> get out of my show let me have my own show because what what you're talking about is someone's soul is at stake someone's life yeah. you know it's not yeah. just buffy quit coming around because when you come around i have to think about you and that makes things very difficult for me you know which is true but when it's this week it's like no seriously buffy get out because you're screwing up with my redemption plan here like and we've seen before how angel back in season 3 was getting somewhere with Faith, you know? Mm. And it wasn't, you know, it's not like Buffy, it's all her fault and she screwed it all up, but a sense in that her presence complicated and interfered with Angel's ability to relate to Faith. You know, that Angel's someone that Faith can relate to in a way she can't relate to Buffy because Buffy's never done anything like what they've done. So... Mm. You know, she has a sense of whether whether she sees it as a good thing or not. Faith's always going to put Buffy up, up on that pedestal. Um, whereas Angel, she can talk to like a peer. Like, well, at least you've done the kind of heinous things that I've done. So you actually understand where I'm coming from. Um, and it's like, so when like two-thirds into the episode, Buffy shows up, you have this kind of, oh, crap, like Buffy now, <laughs> like... Just when we're getting somewhere, you know, it it does well intentioned as she might be, you know, or might not be. Um, she does kind of like almost muck up the plan. Um, and it's kind of lucky that Faith is at least far enough along that she's able to get over that this time. Like she doesn't just take off or, you know, um or fight back but like so i like that like it it gives a justifiably big enough event that angel can say to buffy go away you know um Mm -hmm. he wouldn't just say that on like an average week but like i think this is important enough that he actually does feel justified in kind of kicking her out of the show (laughs) so (laughs) yeah 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 but it doesn't leave them on very good terms no no and we'll perhaps see 
if and how that affects things. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, yeah, like, this is, and, yeah, I don't, so. And it complicates things because the other thing, too, is at the end of the last Buffy episode, we saw her telling Riley about, or about yes. to tell Riley about. So yeah, I mean. We, I assume that that happened, so. You know, right, this isn't like, we're not going to like, this isn't like another episode where like we're going to pick up with the next Buffy no. and it's the same place because we right. know that between then and now right. she's come to L.A. and So, yeah. you know, so how, so not only where does their relationship go, like will they, when or under what circumstances would they ever talk to each other again? Um, but also now she's going back to the current boyfriend and now this is you know after having just gone to LA to check up on, on the old, her old boyfriend ex. yeah yeah because yeah. that goes over real well with boyfriends yeah, yeah. checking up with the ex yeah especially just... especially old vampire boyfriends <laughs> who yeah, you know well... Riley we've established is not a bigot but he's also you know someone who that might be a difficult thing like Buffy said I have to tell you this and you're not gonna like it you know and and it's always that, you know, it's the first love thing, too. You know what I mean? Like, this is Angel and Buffy clearly had something special together. Whatever you think of any other relationship she may or may not have had, you know, like, there's yeah, there's clearly uh, something special about their relationship. And Riley knows this yeah. now, presumably. Yeah. I, you know, he may not know the extent of it. No, but se, he can but probably get the... the- picture yeah i i think we've seen that riley can be a bit more insightful than maybe he always lets on yeah. or you know people give him credit for i i get so irritated at riley bashers <laughs> i'm sorry it's 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 pretty common it's actually frustratingly common uh-huh. in in the buffy world that there are so many people who dislike riley and think he's wooden and think he's this and that and it's it's really frustrating because i think i i I kind of like Riley, and I don't think, yes, he has his faults, but so do everyone else, yeah. and, you know, whatever. Sorry. Not to get on. That's a different show. We should be talking about Angel. See, this is what Buffy does, though. She, yes, she, she comes in, and and the planets realign so that she's the center, and we gravitate around her. So, um, this is why Angel's so pissed off. Yeah. But I think, I think too, like, and, and not that we didn't know this before, but I think this also solidifies the idea of Angel and sort of the group that he's put to, pulled together here now of being these sort of rejects from Sunnydale. <laughs> right. Because now, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. in a way, like, you get, yeah. you get Angel himself, you get Cordy, who, you know, sort of, never really finished out school but she never quite fit in and and you know the whole stuff with her and xander you know like that that sort of led to her wanting to go to la and whatever so you get that and then you get wesley who was kicked out and you know all of that stuff and then now you have faith who also never fit in and not that not that i'm saying faith like face in jail, so she's not like part of Angel Investigation. No, but, but like LA you also is get, like, like the kind of I don't want to say dumping ground, but like it's where you, the they gravitate. But it is. Yeah, 
and it's and it's where people go and it's where people it's funny because it's where people go to try to make it but a lot of the people are sad not all (laughs) but most of them who go there are the misfits and the ones who never quite felt right in their hometown and you know you know i mean so like this is buffy is in sunnydale because that's where she belongs Mm. and that's where she fits in and that's like she had the opportunity to go to way to other colleges and she didn't, mm-hmm. she stayed there, you know? So like, there's this, there's this idea of like, Buffy is in the place where she belongs and, and as misfitty as sort of angel investigation, you know, crew is mm-hmm. like, they're also now in the place where they belong because it's the place where misfits go yeah. and you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think, you know, just from a show perspective, like I think, we can sort of look forward. I mean, this is the end of season one, so we're still going to kind of get some stuff played out here. But like going forward, I think we're going to see that it's less and less of like Sunnydale transplants and more and more of this, you know, we really are in LA now. And so we're dealing with LA problems Mm -hmm. and we're dealing with, you know, these, these issues that are purely sort of our own concern, you know, relating to angel and, and, the stuff that they're doing there. Yeah. Cool. <coughs> um, speaking of Wesley. Speaking of Wesley. Wesley and the Watchers. Yeah. We decide we, we, we have a new band new name. Band We're going to, um, so I, but I do have to correct that because, so that was, that was the, what you said you wanted to talk about topically. They're not technically watchers. Okay. Um, they are. They like so, the thugs who are employed by the watchers to go. Yeah. The, okay. Well, and so what a watcher is sort of is always one of those like things that's never purely defined, but I get the sense that watchers are kind of, so they are sort of like field agents in a way, but they're, they're, you know, like the Giles field agents, they're like the remote office worker kind of field agents, you know what I mean? So like these are the down and dirty yeah. sort of uh they're not watchers they're like special ops wet work okay. type you know people um and then you have the watchers council who you know again like are they watchers or not well kind of like it is the watchers council yeah. but they're more like the, the board. board of directors yeah. yeah yeah so we do get to learn a bit more about those sorts of things later so i'm I don't, I don't. I don't think I'm saying anything like spoilery because I think we've all had sort of allusions to some of that. Yeah, but no, like, but it did kind of occur to me like these guys are very different yeah. from Giles and Wesley. Like, you know, Wesley yeah. maybe these aren't Wesley maybe kind of Giles light in that he's kind of a little less experienced, a little more bumbling, and everything. But they're very similar. Like in like they are both that kind yeah. of more. Tweety academic kind of book knowledge right. type, whereas these guys are definitely not. They're like and in their leather jackets and they're kind of, you know, a little bit seedier and a little bit thuggish, and um, yeah. they definitely seem we, different. So, so you know, thinking back to like Kendra, you know, she had a watcher like before she was even called to be a slayer. Mm-hmm. So we do know that there are definitely other watchers out there. Like, yeah. kind of, we don't know how many, but like that there are at least some out there sort of overseeing these like uh, potential slayers, you know, or whatever they might be, um, you know, in training 
you know, these girls as best as they can. So, you know, it is certainly possible that like when they, when they offer Wesley a position to be reinstated as a watcher, like we know Sarah Michelle, sorry, Buffy mm-hmm. isn't uh, working with the watchers council anymore. So we know like he's not going to go be Buffy's watcher because she's kind of divested herself right. of the council, but like it, he could possibly go to someone they think is going to be the next, you know, Slayer or that kind of thing and be, you know, someone who's training her. So like, there's also the possibility that they're completely lying about his re- potential reinstatement. Right. So, you know, well, and, we don't... and whether or not that's the case, like whether it's a complete lie or not, I definitely got the sense that that's the bait in order to get oh, him yeah. to bag fate. Like that, that's it. Maybe they would reinstate him, but I don't think there's really any change of feeling on the part of the Watchers Council towards wanting to, you know, forgive him. It's a it's a simple case of he, you know, he could help us get faith, and so we'll dangle this little carrot, you know, hoping that he'll take it and, you know, do what we want him to do. So they're trying to yeah. manipulate him. And and even with sort of the shifty looks that they give each other as yeah. they're kind of presenting this plan, I even get the sense that it's a lie. They're that that like they haven't even themselves really talked to the Watchers Council. Because I, I actually see, and we can talk about Wolfram and Hart mm-hmm. too, like I actually see a parallel mm. going on here. Because you have the three Wolfram and Hart people and you have the three Watcher yeah. wet work guys ta- sort of conspiring in their own ways. You know, to, so like you, and, and we know that like, the Wolfram and Hart people aren't talking to the senior partner, you know, the sort of, and and you get this sort of parallel structure even between the Watchers Council and Wolfram and Hart of like, there's this council and there's these senior partners and then they have kind of their operatives who are, you know, doing kind of the dirty work. And and kind of the operatives aren't really reporting everything that happens to the upper. Right. Because we don't want to get in trouble for having screwed it up. Because they're not successful. And, And it doesn't matter <laughs> how shady our means are as long as we get the good result like if we right. bag faith if either of them bags faith <laughs> um nobody's going to care what methods we use to do it you know right. so yeah so it ethics doesn't really come yeah. into it um yeah. i really like that they kind of mislead you a bit because they have wesley uh, being more the hardliner at the beginning that, you know, saying to Angel, like, you're kind of stupid to trust her. Um, and, you know... And just coming off a bout of torture. Yeah, and he's... And totally, and totally like, reasonably, you know, totally understandable. Probably he's right. You know, like, it, you absolutely understand why, where he's coming from. But... um but they don't have him fall for the trap either. You know, that he might disagree and think that, you know, Angel's kind of being a little bit naive, but he's on Angel's side. And, you know, pissed off and angry and jaded as he might be at Faith, I think Wesley still is that person who believes enough in you know, the goodness of people to not sell her out and to think, well, you know, whether he believes she can change or not, 
he's not going to be the one to take away her chance, you know? Mm -hmm. So because of that and because of his loyalty to Angel, who he even says to Angel, like, I trust you. Well, at least I trust you more than those guys. So, like, he's not even sure that Angel's 100% trustworthy, but he knows that it's the right thing to do. So he does it. So Yeah, and and I don't... I would sort of quibble very minorly with, with that. Um, I don't think that he thinks Angel isn't trustworthy per se but that like I think he's acknowledging that Angel might just be wrong like right. it's not that the Angel's like deceptive or whatever yeah, but just no, that he I, might not yeah. actually be correct in his assessment of fate well and, and so, I even yeah. took it as like you know the, the acknowledgement of the potential within Angel to go bad too that like it's hard sure. to trust him 100% because you know what can happen with Angel when things get triggered. So even... When vampires when go When vampires bad. go wrong. So even that right there is like a reason to kind of not be 100%, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, there's always the potential of that happening, I, I guess. So, yeah, I didn't mean it like... Like that, that he believes that Angel isn't a trustworthy person, but that whether he just makes a mistake or, you know, he's, he has more faith in the imperfectness of Angel than he does in these clowns, um, who mm -hmm. he knows are the, who are in the wrong. So, yeah. So I like that, that he's not, he's not gullible and he's not like, uh, he, I guess coerced or like bribed into doing into turning her in either. Mm. Yeah. Um let's see. Well anything else for Wesley or the or the watcher enforcer guys? No. no, I mean I think I think other than sort of the parallels between the watcher guys and the wolfram and hart team like yeah i don't think there's a lot more to say about them um clearly they lose and i won't say whether we ever see them again although mm -hmm. we sort of get the idea that they're not in too good of shape no. at the end of all this <laughs> no they kind of um, get their butts kicked a little bit uh, so yeah, no, I don't have anything more. I think and Wesley, I think yeah, the the main point there is that like he's bought in. Like so, if anything, like we saw how loyal he was at the very beginning of when we first saw him in Buffy and stuff. Um, yeah. How loyal he was to the council and stuff, and that sort of slides away, slides away, slides away, and then you know he becomes his rogue demon yeah. hunter. But you know, like now we see that he's applied that same sense of loyalty mm. to Angel. Right. And, like, we, I, I think at this point we can feel like it's a much better place loyalty. Oh, yeah. And it's a loyalty, you know, based on friendship and results, not sort of on theory and pretentious upbringing mm -hmm. like, you know, he was before. So I think it's a better founded. And I've... I think I've said on this podcast, if not, then I guess I'm saying it for the first time here, but I know I've definitely said to you, I I find just in sort of the entire Buffyverse, I find Wesley's character to be one of the most interesting and, and 
you know, has sort of the biggest uh, changes mm. in, you know, throughout throughout his character arc as a whole. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like what what they do with his character, just in generally. And, I mean, I don't want to say too much because it's still season one. So, you know, I mean, there's still plenty yeah. plenty of other, you know, Wesley to, to see. But, um, yeah. yeah, just in general, I, I like really a lot of the direction i think you know it just sort of keeps improving uh and i think at this point and not that like not that you don't like the character when he first shows up but you like him because it he's funny and pretentious mm-hmm. and whatever and he still can be that but like just you know you do get sort of the deeper yeah motives and loyalties and stuff that i like yeah and that's uh, true that. i hadn't thought of, but th- that that loyalty is one of his chief kind of characteristics that like yeah he whatever he believes he like believes and adheres to it strongly you know and even when he recognizes its failings you know that he he may think well we might be making a mistake with faith but i trust angel and i believe in the ability to give her her own choices and so he's committed to that um so he's not just going to be kind of bought out by having his old job back. Um, and the other thing I like about it too, is that they, you know, they do preserve sort of that loyalty, but um, they don't do it in a way that like just sort of mimics Xander's loyalty. You right. know what I mean? Like Xander's the loyal right. of the Scoobies. You like, he's, you know, the one that's like, but Xander's like more of like the, the good dog loyalty. Yeah. I don't mean that as a slight, but yeah. you know, that's just sort of like his, like he's always there to sort of cheer you up and, and like, you know, be the one who will bark at the, you know, robber stepping through the door. But, you know, Wesley's is certainly obviously a more intellectual loyalty, Mm -hmm. but, but it's, it's not, um, it's not any less for that. And it might even be more because he's put his thought and it's like, you know, it might take him a while to come around to a decision or a conclusion, but once he does, Mm -hmm. he, he backs it it up and he sticks to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, and that hadn't occurred to me about the the parallels between the two groups of three, but definitely now that you point that out, I can see that. And especially the way they are kind of uh, more bumbling and kind of unsuccessful. Like, y- you have a bigger sense in this episode, I think, than we've had before of the Wolfram and Hart team that we see being kind of a joke. <laughs> like... Maybe not that far. There's still a threat. There's still, like, it's not like they're completely harmless, but, like, the way they kind of all sit around and go, like, when they're talking about the assassins, like, okay, we hired her to assassinate him, and then, you know, he assassinated, so then she's with him, and now we have to hire an assassin, but the assassins killed the assassin, and, and, like, this kind of, well, this just isn't, you know... They're sitting back in their offices trying to orchestrate this whole thing, and it's just, like, not working at all. Um, So, you know, and even, like, the other demon that they bring in is, like, kind of silly. Like, you know, when they're, like, trying to be polite and offer the demon, like, you know, a drink and what do you, like, you know, and it's, like, slobbering all over as it, like, tries to eat and everything. So... Like, kind of showing how, like, they're maybe not as uh, 
together as they seem. Like they seem kind of smooth and, and experienced and refined and everything, but they kind of don't know what they're doing either. And like you said, these are not like the senior executives. This is like up and comers. So they're kind of yeah. young hot shots who are trying to make their mark and work their way up. And they right. don't necessarily know what they're doing a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, they're not, I mean, they're certainly they're not, not idiots, like, you know, paralegals, yeah, but... you know, they're, they're lawyers, they're associates, yeah. you know, but yeah, they're not, they're not even junior partners right. yet. You know what I mean? Like they're, you know, you have the senior partners and, and they keep talking about them, but it's like everything that they're doing is an attempt to impress them. And it's like, they just, they can't get to that point where they actually yeah. have done something that's impressive. So, right. um, and, and you do get like this mounting sense of desperation in their activities. Yeah. Uh, and, and even that, like, I mean, more so kind of in the last, uh, episode, I think where, uh, you have sort of the competition between, especially between Lee and Lila, where it's like, oh, you know, I've got, I know what, you know, we can use to get Angel. And Lila's like, well, I know where she is. And, mm. you know, it's like neither one of them wants to kind of give up the goods and let the other one take yeah. full credit either. So, you know, there's also this sense of like dissatisfaction or not or like competition, yeah, I guess, like between the three between of them. them yeah. Like, like they're perfectly willing to work together if it'll advance all of them at the same time. But if anyone sees an advantage They'll take it. that yeah. they can step over the other two, they're not going to hesitate to do so. Yeah. Um, and in that respect, I guess maybe the watchers three are a little more, but even there you get the sense that there's some dissension among the three of them as well. Like that there's, I mean, they certainly seem to differ on whether or not to kill Angel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and so, so there, there does seem to be a little dissension there. Although I think on the whole, they do seem to be working a little more in tandem with each other. Yeah. Um, the other thing too, which once you brought up the parallel, uh, is so we get, you know, the, the watcher guys kind of bribing, Wesley with his job and you kind of get the Wolfram and Hart people sort of bribing Kate with you know this this promise of yeah. we can give you justice again we can give you justice for your father in a way that he wouldn't get because it had to do with like these demons that's not going to fly in the regular court you know but we know about that stuff so we can kind of work with you in a way that the you know another lawyer won't um and yeah. she takes it she takes the bait which again not entirely not understandable we've seen how she's had more and more cause to want to distance herself from angel and like through a kind of series of misunderstandings like it's not all just her own sort of bigotry but the fact that you know, it's not always looked like he's been the greatest guy. Um, yeah. So she doesn't... And now he's harboring and... and now, so, like, everything her. just makes him look worse and worse, you know? Yeah. But, you know, that still is a contrast, I think, that, like, you know, it's again, it's hard to judge her too much because she doesn't know everything in the way that Wesley knows everything. And so Wesley can make a more informed decision. But, you mm -hmm. know you still kind of have her 
you know, accepting sort of information from people who maybe might seem a little bit shady, but, <laughs> but she kind of goes for it. Um, and, you know, without any sort of trial or anything is going to put Angel in the sunniest room possible. So, you know, maybe that's an empty threat, but seems a little bit happy to have, you know, found something on him and been able to sort of bring him in. Um, yeah. So, but ultimately doesn't do it. Like, no, I think, no. I, I think, because here's the thing, even though Faith came in, like, she could have still held Angel overnight for obstruction of justice. Yeah, he's you know still what I mean? like, harbored a fugitive, you know, so. So, yeah. so, like, there's, I think you can read into that, that maybe Kate's not quite as ruthless as the Wolfram and Heart people. Oh, and <laughs> you I know, don't as think, much as she might. I don't think that she is. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't. I think most of what she thinks she knows has been twisted by, you know, bad timing and misunderstood sure. motivations and circumstances, you know, so. Which, which is a hallmark of Joss Whedon work. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't so think, yeah. I don't think she's out there wanting, you know, sitting on, her nursing her revenge against everyone who's wrong to I don't think that's really what she's after no. you know but you know she's also not above bringing him in you know if she thinks that there is like she's also not entirely I guess merciful either like she's a law person and she's gonna bring him in if he's done something wrong um yeah, I I think the big thing that we get here with Kate is is the questioning, and I mean we get the X Files reference, right? right. We get you know right. <laughs> the 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 sort of funny you know mix up of uh, Scully. Right, and of Mulder, course she's but... Scully because she's the chick, you know, like right, yeah. right. Like I, I love how that guy's that guy's so confused about it too. He's like, but wait, isn't she the chick? Like. Like you, you must be. Her. I can't compare like, you to the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. And when she's trying to like show like thematically, this is who I am. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I think that I, other than being sort of a funny reference, which of course it is like, I think, you know, that sort of shows too, that like, this is her, you know, searching for the truth that she knows is out there. But I do also think it sort of implies that she recognizes she doesn't know mm. everything. And so part of maybe the allure of Wolfram and Hart is that they seem to know things. Mm. And so, you know, she's willing at least to listen to what they have to say to learn more, even though she admits up front that she doesn't like them or their clients yeah. and, you know, whatever. So for whatever that's for. Mm -hmm. um, well, last few minutes, anything to say on Cordy? The main thing I have is this, uh, I, I just like her kind of writing herself checks for PTO because, you know, <laughs> a sort of restitution, sure. but just like, she just doesn't, if you're going to keep faith here, I don't feel safe. So, um, 
I'll, I'll, I'm going to peace out for a little while. And, and you know what? Hey, you know, fair enough. Like, I would be kind of scared of Faith, too. So I don't blame Cordy for that. <laughs> sort of the unstated thing, too, is, I mean, she's signing three checks. So presumably, like, if she gets paid, I don't, you know, we don't know if she gets paid weekly or biweekly. Right. But we're looking for anywhere between three to six weeks of pay here. Yeah. Like, you get the sense sort of unstated that she also thinks Angel might not be around. So she might as well get these checks while the business is still in business. Right. <laughs> um, right, you know, if they, if, if they, yeah, goes there's that kind of practical, Angel. <laughs> that practical mercenary side coming out of, out of Cordy as usual. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kind of I fun. like, I like that kind of practical side of her. Like she's, you know, it's all very well and good to sit around and debate the ethics, but Cordy's got to eat, you know, she got to pay the rent for that nice apartment. You know, she's got stuff to take care of. And <laughs> Cordy, Cordy has to eat. She's a, That's right. she's a, she's a very practical minded person. Um, so. Phantom Dennis can only do so much. I know. Right. So. Uh, yeah. Um, there's an interesting little moment of tenderness there between Cordy and Wesley yeah. too. I don't, I don't know yeah. if, if we want to read too much into it or not, but I, I'll just note it. Yeah. No. Put a check mark and move on. Definitely. Um, so, all right. So yeah, good episode. Yeah. Uh, and good pair of oh, episodes. Yes. Really, really enjoyed these two together um one final thing i'll end on um going back to sort of the mention of that this is a whedon and Minear production so um typically when whedon has co-written with others his name comes first mm. in the credits uh in this case tim Minear's come first uh tim Minear's name comes mm -hmm. first and um the story apparently behind that is that jokingly he apparently went up to um like the episode editor or whatever and told him that his name should go first and apparently the guy believed him and so he put his name first and so like it was just like totally just one of those things like him being yeah you know funny or trying to make a joke and that's funny it kind of turned turned out this way um so that's yeah, funny because i would have thought it was like okay well Whedon wrote the Buffy parts, but then Manier, like I would have thought it was something like that, but it was just sort of accidental. And, and that's actually what happened is that he, he actually asked, I, I guess it was like the episode was assigned to him, but like he didn't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Manier didn't feel comfortable writing Buffy scenes. And so he actually talked to and convinced Whedon to come in and write, uh, he wrote all of Buffy's scenes. Okay. Um, and, um, I, I think that's where, so, I mean, in a way that's kind of right. Like, right. But that's not why, you know, sort of yourself, but like, I mean, you know, I mean, Whedon's the creator, yeah. so like, you know, he's going to get first credits, but, uh, but, uh, you know, again, like Tim Minear being Tim Minear just kind of went up and jokingly said, Hey, my name should come <laughs> first. And that's, so the editor did that and yeah, this way it happened. Um, and, and as far as the writing goes, you know, my near sort of stated about, I mean, which I think is pretty understandable that like the hardest part of this was making Faith's sort of 
reversal conversion, whatever you want to call it, like um, making it believable because, you know, he, he says when you're writing like evil faith, it's kind of fun Mm -hmm. and, you know, easy to do, but then you have to like figure out how to turn that into someone who's believably, uh, you know, repentant um, for those things that she was having fun doing earlier. And so it was, uh, I, I think worked out pretty well though. And yeah, did a good job with it. Yeah, no, I, I really liked it. So yeah, good job team. Okay. All right. Well, with that in mind, we will be back with some more Buffy next week and, uh, another Dr. Who. Yep. See you then.